Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, the podcast dedicated to empowering Catholics to read, interpret, and pray with sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I'm your host, Chase Krauss. Let's dive in. What is up, everybody? I hope you are having a fantastic Easter season so far. Even in the midst of this current uh, shelter-in-place quarantine stuff that's still going on, not going to lie to you guys, I am... I'm I'm kind of surprised at how long how long this has lasted. Uh, you know, it's been I guess a little over a month now. And when all this started, I mean, I was definitely optimistic. I was like, you know, it'll be a couple weeks or whatever. But then everything, you know, we'll just get back to normal. And then as time progressed, you know, obviously, I was I was very wrong. Um, and so I hope you are trying your best to rejoice during this Easter season to grow in your faith as a domestic church at home. Maybe you're married with kids or maybe uh, you're engaged. Maybe you're single. I don't know. Hopefully you're growing in fraternity or uh, sorority. Sure. Yeah, I think that's the right word. (laughs) Sisterhood. Uh, Anyway, I hope you're trying to grow as a family or as friends in some way, shape, or form during this shelter in place time. Cause man, isolation is, is brutal when it comes to the spiritual life. You know, 99.99% of people are not called to be uh, monks and hermits that live by themselves off in the desert. Right. Uh, so we need community and God knows we need community. That's what I mean. That's why we, we're a part of a church. So I hope you're doing well. Uh, today we're starting a little bit of a mini series within the greater series of Catholics with Bibles. And we're going to be talking about the patriarchs for the next few weeks. And the reason this kind of got brought up was the more and more I do Bible studies and talk to people about scripture, the more and more it's just so evident that there's so many people out there that really struggle with Old Testament, just either timelines or uh, people or situations. And the thing is, you can't fully understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. They're not two different Bibles. It's not two different gods. They're both equally inspired, according to the Catechism. They're both equally inspired and equally important. And obviously, the Old Testament's leading to the New. And so, if you are struggling with reading the Old Testament, if you find it dry or boring or like, what the heck is going on? Uh, part of that's maybe because we just we not we haven't been educated, we haven't been formed. And so, hopefully, this series helps you out with going through with the Patriarch series. And so. The Hebrew word of the day, we're actually going to do Hebrew word of the day because <laughs> I don't know how your quarantine's going, but uh, mine has been a bit more chill than <laughs> before, and I got bored and started studying uh, Hebrew for grins and giggles, and uh, it's been kind of awesome. It's it's hard because the, the vocabulary and the, the letters are so different. You know, you read it from right to left, and that's hard enough as it is, and then um, you know, multiple letters uh, that kind of sound the same, and they change with you know, there's no vowels in Hebrew. It's all consonants, but there's like dots that help you kind of understand what vowel noise to make. Anyway, so I want to do a Hebrew word of the day, and it's going to tie into what we're going to talk about. So the Hebrew word of the day is uh, toledoth, uh, means generations. So this is something I picked up from uh, Bergsma and Petrie's book, Catholic Introduction to the Old Testament. This is a fantastic book. If you want to study more of the Old Testament in more of an academic lens, uh, Catholic Introduction to the Old Testament by Bergsma and Petrie is phenomenal. I can't recommend it enough. 
And so they point out that Toledoth means uh, in Hebrew generations. So the patriarchs are found in the book of Genesis. And there's a literal sense to the patriarchs. Uh, the literal you know, definition of a patriarch is be, would be a head of a tribe, head of a family, or head of a clan, you know, in biblical history, according to Scott Hahn and his Catholic Bible Dictionary, which is also a fantastic book you should pick up if you haven't. It's Scott Hahn's Catholic Bible Dictionary. And so it's the head of a family. And we, in the Eastern rites, there still are patriarchs that uh, hold a significant place of authority within the Catholic uh, Church. Um, they're not quite equivalent to a cardinal, uh, but they're higher than an archbishop. And not saying they're, they're lower than cardinals. It, patriarchs are kind of a weird, unique status. Um, and I'm Roman Catholic, so I can't really speak to kind of where patriarchs are in the political realm of the church and stuff like that. Um, our Cal, I have Chaldean friends. They have a patriarch. And then uh, our Byzantine brothers and sisters have patriarchs. And uh, the Eastern rites within the Catholic church have patriarchs. So that's kind of a modern view of it. But uh, traditionally, there are three patriarchs. And in the book of Genesis, the patriarchs can be found uh, from Genesis uh, 12 through 50. So the Genesis 1 through 11 is really the kind of the, the big picture stuff or the, um, you know, you have Abraham, you have, sorry, you have Adam, you have Noah, you have the Tower of Babel. It's more like big picture humanity stuff. Um, God creates humanity and then, you know, God uh, has the flood, wipes out humanity and restarts with Noah and his three sons. And then the uh, kind of the world goes to crap again with the Tower of Babel where they try to, you know, reach heaven and reach God, become become like God, just like uh, the sin of Adam and Eve. And then God scatters them again and confuses their language. And the Toledoth of Abram, uh, which is that, that generations, and this is there's three kind of points within Genesis 12 through 50. Uh, first one is Genesis 11, 27 through 25, 18. That's Abraham's Toledoth. That's his generations. It's his story. And then the next one is going to be Jacob, which is Genesis 25, 19 through 36, 43. And then the last Toledoth is not a patriarch uh, in the traditional sense. Uh, it's Joseph's Toledoth, which is Genesis 37 through 50. So the three traditional patriarchs are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is kind of how we view the patriarchs. This is a traditional sense. But we, when we read Acts, um, we actually find Acts 2, 29, where Peter says, Brethren, I may say to you confidently of the patriarch David and that he both died and was buried. So within some uh, Jewish thought, there are other patriarchs. So David or uh, some of the, you have uh, somebody like Moses, some of the prophets maybe. And this is kind of going back to that literal sense of the word patriarch, which is just a leader of a tribe or family or clan. And we, this is very obvious when it comes to, you know, David. He was literally the leader of the, the kingdom of Israel, the tribe, if you will, of Israel. And traditionally, um, yeah, like I said, the three patriarchs are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, who is later renamed Israel. And, you know, obviously, we know, most of us know that Abraham was originally named Abram, was renamed Abraham. So in the Old Testament, sometimes you, you we get confused because, you know, we, all of a sudden we see the sons of Israel and you're like, who the heck is the sons of Israel? We have to remember that Jacob had 12 sons, which those became the 12 tribes of Israel. 
um, because of 12 tribes of Jacob, because Jacob was renamed Israel, uh, Israel being uh, one who wrestles with God. That's what uh, Israel, uh, Israel literally means, is one who wrestles with God. And the Catechism in uh, paragraph 61, we read, the patriarchs, prophets, and certain other Old Testament figures have been and always will be honored as saints in all the church's liturgical traditions. So within uh, Roman Rite Catholicism, we don't usually uh, say Saint Moses, Saint Abraham, Saint Isaac, Saint Jacob, uh, but it's understood that they are saints, uh, that they are in heaven. Uh, one of the key passages that kind of proves this is uh, the story of the transfiguration when Jesus takes um, Peter, James, and John up the mountain. And uh, Jesus is transfigured in front of their eyes. And uh, Peter sees uh, Moses and Elijah standing and talking to Jesus in glory, right? They're, they're in their heavenly state. Part of that's because um, these are the two of the guys in the Old Testament that uh, we the tradition holds were assumed into heaven, uh, body and soul, which is always kind of funny that Protestants are cool with that, but aren't, aren't cool with like the mother of God being assumed, but body and soul into heaven, whatever. Um, but side tangent for another podcast. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, Jesus is talking to uh, Elijah and Moses, and uh, this is, you know, kind of almost definitive proof from the New Testament that these Old Testament patriarchs, prophets, certain prophets, are, are in heaven, right? They, they, they glorified God with their lives, but we have to understand that they were redeemed and saved through the cross of Jesus Christ still, right? So first Peter talks about this, but also uh, even in the new Testament, when, when Jesus was, uh, uh, when he's died on a cross, we read about how the saints were raised or, you know, it's kind of an obscure passage. And, you know, first Peter talks about how Jesus descended into uh, Sheol and then proclaimed to those who were dead and uh, brought them into the kingdom. So we know that ultimately, if you were in the Old Testament times and you were saved, it was through the cross of Jesus Christ still. It was through Jesus because there is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. So the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob later named Israel. That's the kind of the foundation. So in this episode, I want to zoom in on Abraham a little bit. Now a lot, a lot, a lot can be said about Abraham. And it's going to take, it, it would, would, would take more than 10 minutes for us to, you know, really dive in. So I'm not going to talk about like everything with Abraham. Uh, I'm going to be really focusing on the covenant that God made with Abraham or the threefold promise to Abraham. Uh, but it's important to us, for us to remember that Abraham, Abram's journey started when he was in the Ur of the Chaldeans. So in Genesis 12, one through three, uh, he was called out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. So Ur of the Chaldeans, uh, it's in modern day Iraq. So we, there, like I mentioned, there are Chaldean right uh, Catholics who are under the Pope, uh, who have their own patriarch. And so the Chaldean liturgy is one of the most ancient within the church. Uh, tradition holds that uh, Saint, uh, the apostle Saint Thomas was the one that founded uh, that specific rite. And yeah, so the Ur of the Chaldeans, it's been around for a super long time. We forget how old uh, the Middle East is sometimes. And there are still Chaldean, uh, right, uh, Christians, Catholics today. So in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, we read, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. 
so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who curses you I will curse. And by you all families of the earth shall bless themselves. So there's a few things that we have to zoom in on in Genesis 12. First of all, there's, there's a three different promises here, really. If you look at Genesis uh, 12, 2, it says, And I will make of you a great nation. Right? So that's that first promise. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. Right? And I will make your name great. That second promise. I will make your name great. And there's also a universal blessing here. Apart from this, the, the land that God's going to give to uh, Abram. So there's a promise of a great name, a great nation, and a universal blessing. That verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who curses you, I'll curse. And by you, all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. Notice that instantly we know that this call to Abram is a universal blessing. It is not simply for Israel or Abram's direct bloodline descendants. God says, all of the families of the earth shall bless themselves through the promise I'm currently making with you. So this is like the mustard seed of this threefold promise, but it has to play out. And that's what the rest of Abram's and eventually Abraham's Toledoth kind of really breaks down. So the first one is we have Genesis 15, and this is when God makes or re-solidifies his promise of great nation. So in Genesis 15, Abram still obviously doesn't have a son. And Abram said, Behold, thou hast given me no offspring, and a slave born in my house will be my heir. So back in uh, ancient times, if you didn't have a direct bloodline uh, heir, you would appoint uh, some a servant or, or a close servant, uh, your highest servant, as your as your heir because you don't have one. So verse four, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him: This man shall not be your heir; your own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he, Abraham, Abram, believed the Lord. And he reckoned it to him as righteousness. It's a super famous line. It's super important. St. Paul quotes it all the time. So Abram believed this promise that his descendants would be like the stars of heaven. And he believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He had this faith that God would fulfill his promise. But then we have to keep reading them. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And he said, Abram, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So Abram was pretty quick to believe that he would have heirs, but he wasn't so quick to believe that he was possessed the land because he instantly questions it. And throughout the rest of 15, we, we have this kind of weird passage. It's kind of, it's this, uh, it's a covenant making passage. A lot of us just kind of read it as like, dude, you just killed some animals, man. Like, <laughs> what's going on? Because a lot of times we're confused about animal sacrifice in the Old Testament. We're going to get to that in a second. But we read that in verse 9, he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a she-goat three years old, a ram three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. 
and he brought him all these, cut them in two, and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Then we read how the sun came down and a deep sleep fell on Abram, which is also alluding to a deep sleep falling on Adam, right? And then a rib being taken out to possess Eve. So that covenant was made. And so it's illusion there because a covenant's about to be made. And then what happens? We read in verse 17, when the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, to the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenites, Kenizzites, and the Cabanites, the Hittites, Perizzites, and it goes on. And so what's happening here? So to make a covenant, this is Scott Hahn, so kinship by covenant, it's an academic approach, but a lot of Scott Hahn's tough stuff mentions covenant. Uh, and so Scott Hahn, covenantal theology is his jam. Read his stuff if you want to learn more about it. But what's happening? So to make a covenant, this particular covenant, you traditionally you would you know come to your terms of agreement and then you would um, make a sacrifice and so the animal sacrifice wasn't just because they decided these animals were ugly wanted to kill them right like that wasn't it the, the sacrifice meant something what would happen was you would kill the animal and then the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch that represents god and they walked between the pieces what's that mean it's saying that if I'm making this promise to you. And if I break this promise, let what happened to these animals happen to me. Uh, when my old professors, uh, Dr. Barber mentioned, you know, cross my heart and hope to die. It's a, it's a covenant promise. You know, if, if I do not, if I break this promise, you know, cross my heart and, you know, hope to die. Uh, that, that's saying like, if I break this promise to you, let what happened to these animals happen to me. So this covenant's being made. And covenants make families. It's not just a contract. You can't break a covenant. You can't just, if you have a sibling, you can't just one day say, you are not my sibling anymore. And then poof, all of a sudden they're magically not your sibling. No, they're your family. It's like when you make a cut into the covenant of marriage, you, that your spouse becomes your family. You can't just be like, nope, sorry, not my family anymore. That's uh, why, you know, marriages, you know, that's why the Catholic Church says, no, divorce, you don't understand. It's just literally not possible because you're family. You can't just poof somebody away from being your family, right? And so this is God fulfilling that first promise of a great nation. And he does it uh, through this means of animal sacrifice, but more to say like, hey, what, you know, if I break this promise, which God can't break a promise, obviously, let what happened to these animals happen to me. All right. So the great nation, this is the first promise to Abraham, to Abram, sorry, at this point. Then we have Genesis 17, and this is that second part of the promise, which is a great name. So a great name, that would be like a, a royal line. So in, in verse 17, at four, we read, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you make nations of you, and kings shall come forth from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. So it's a great name. But we have to kind of we have to remember that there's a few chapters here between fifteen and seventeen. Why is this new kind of extra covenant being emphasized here in 17. Well, it's because after this promise of great nation, 
years go by and Abram and Sarai still do not have a son. They don't have an heir. So what do they do? Sarai, given into defeat, gives Abram, her servant, uh, maidservant, uh, Hagar. So in ancient times, when the, the wife would be barren, they, it's like the surrogate mother attitude where a servant would um, have the child of the husband and it'd be like a surrogate mother, but it would be the heir of the husband. But this was not God's plan. God didn't say you're going to need a surrogate mother and that's how you're going to have an heir. No, God said, I was going to give you and Sarai an heir. Like it's going to be your son, the son of the promise, like St. Paul talks about in Romans. And so this renewing a covenant of a great name, this promise of royalty, right? This promise of royalty to be a royal line that kings will come from you. I'm going to give you a royal line. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of, a lot of kids through your heir, multiple nations, but they're also going to be royal. They're going to be royalty. But unfortunately, Abram trying to take this into his own hands by conceiving uh, a son with Hagar basically was just saying to God, like, hey, I know you promised this. You promised me an heir, but I'm just going to, the things aren't happening fast enough. So I'm just going to go ahead and take things into my own hands and do the, do have a, have relations with the, my wife's slave and uh, have a surrogate mother. And then verse uh, Genesis 17, this new promise is reemphasized, but instead of an animal sacrifice, like in verse 15, this is when God commanded circumcision. And I think this is a lot of times like people are like, man, like why? Like circumcision, like as, a, as an adult man, like that's, that's intense. Like why that? Well, we have to remember Abram took things into his own hands and God is reminding him that I am in control of everything even your sexuality. So you try to take your sexuality into your own hands, your, your generations into your own hands. So I will make of, on your body a permanent reminder that everything you have is mine. Everything, your body, your soul, your mind, I am your God. You're, you having kids, that's not your God. Your sexuality, that's not your God. I am your God. So let me remind you now, permanently that I am in control of everything, even your reproduction, right? So that's that circumcision, it's that covenant of circumcision. So we have one more, and this is arguably the most important one. This is the one that they're kind of all leading up to is Genesis 22. This is the third part of the promise, which is that universal blessing, right? All families will be blessed through Abraham. And this happens through something called the Ekedah, which is uh, Hebrew for binding. So it's the binding of Isaac or the sacrifice of Isaac. And it's, it's a pretty famous story. Odds are you've, you've heard of it. It's when God tells Abraham to uh, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So it's Genesis 22, verse 2. So a burnt offering. So that's a whole burnt offering. So basically, it, a burnt offering is when you take an animal and uh, you know kill it and then burn the whole thing. Because there are other sacrifices that you could do where you can, you actually consume uh, part or half or a certain amount of the animal, and then you burn the rest up to God as an offering to God. Not that you're like feeding God or anything like that. Um, I think we read the Old Testament and think like the Israelites were dumb because it's like they're trying to feed God. It's like no, they knew they weren't feeding God. It's just it's the animal represented themselves. So. 
because it's livelihood, right? Animals are expensive. If you know, talk to a rancher, they can tell you how expensive animals are and they're huge. So they, with the burnt offering, offering represented themselves. So they were giving themselves entirely to God through this burnt offering. So God is saying to Abraham to take your son Isaac, because eventually Isaac was born, right? This is, you get to read between uh, chapter 17 and 22, Isaac was born. Abraham and Sarah had a son. This is the promise that they've been waiting for finally. And they were old when they had the son. I mean, they've been waiting their entire lives for this moment. And all of a sudden God tells them, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. This is kind of like, it's tragic. Like, oh my gosh, like what? But then Abraham rose early in the morning and took his son and, uh, and it says he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac and cut the wood of the burnt offering, arose and went to the place which God told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the ass and I, I, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took on his hand, uh, in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together, and Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, he said, here I am, son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And we know the story. Abraham takes Isaac up the mountain, and right before he kills him, uh, the angel of the Lord appears and says, "You know, Do not sacrifice your son. Your faith has been proved to God. But a couple of things, a lot of times you see in art that uh, we think that Isaac was like this like little boy and that's just simply not the case. So I don't know how many little boys you've been around. Uh, I have a younger brother and he's five, six. Um, I have another younger brother who's 13. Needless to say, been around when they were when they were small. And if I could get convinced one of them to carry one log 50 yards I would be super impressed. But we read Abraham said, like literally put all of the wood for the burnt offerings, namely a considerable amount of wood on Isaac's back and says, carry it up the mountain. So not only carrying the wood more than 50 yards, but carrying it uphill for a considerable amount of, of time. And so from that, we know, we know Isaac was either um, uh, in his upper teens, lower twenties. He was a young man. So, this kind of tells us a couple of things. One, this sacrifice wasn't just of Abraham. It was also of Isaac. Isaac let Abraham tie him and put him on the wood. He could have fought back, but he had to trust his father and God the Father. But we also see something else. We say Abraham's response to, to Isaac says, God will provide himself the lamb. So it's almost like Abraham was like just like was trusting in God, like, you know, God promised me heirs through a true son, a son of the promise. I, I gotta, I gotta believe in that. I gotta, I gotta stay true. You know, I believe that God is good and he's going to uphold his promise because we've made a covenant. We're now family. This hopefully helps us understand too, why later on Israel would kept doing animal sacrifices. Uh, actually, Bergman and Peachy also point out that they say, uh, it's a direct quote from the book. It says, in some streams of later Jewish tradition, the animal sacrifices offered at the Jerusalem temple were regarded as a memorial as memorials 
or re-presentations of the sacrifice of Isaac. So the animals were not effective, right? The people of Israel knew animals didn't do anything. They were symbolic. But what were they symbolic of? They symbolized the truly meritorious self-offering of Abraham and Isaac. That is what they represented. Animals don't feed God. They didn't just kill animals for you know fun. The animals represented something. They represented you know, giving of them entire, their entire selves to God, but namely recalling to mind Abraham and Isaac's sacrifice, calling to mind the true gift of self that both of these men were willing to offer to the God of Israel, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs. So Abraham, the father of faith, who was, uh, was promised a great nation, a great name, and universal blessing. This is, this is really the foundational covenantal promise that the rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament was built upon, was this promise to Abraham. So a lot more can be said about Abraham, uh, but we're going to wrap it up there. In the next episode, we'll be talking about uh, Isaac and a bit of his story so we can understand him better. And then before we can move on to Jacob, later named Israel. So thank you so much for joining us on Catholics with Bibles. Hope you all have a fantastic week. Hey, what's up, guys? I really hope you enjoyed today's episode of Catholics with Bibles, studying the patriarchs a little bit. Maybe you've never uh, read much about the patriarchs. Maybe you, you, this was old hat, too. It's kind of a refresher. Either way, thanks for joining us. I want to encourage you, uh, if you find this podcast enjoyable and useful, and it, it helping you to learn more about the, the scripture through a Catholic lens, uh, do me a favor and give us a review on Spotify or on the iTunes, and that'll help just help people find us. So that way we can continue to spread this message that we believe in, that Catholics uh, should know more about scripture, but also that the Catholic Church knows a ton about scripture, um, but that most people have just don't know how to read it. So do us a favor, like, subscribe, give a review, share, Tell your friends, tell your family, uh, tell your coworkers, whatever it is. Uh, share this message. Help us get the word out. And we hope you all have a great week. And thank you again for joining us, Catholics with Bibles.